doing this morning? Glad to, glad to see as many of you here on this snowy day as there are. That's great. Love it. Um, also, uh, glad that we have technology. And for those who are tuning in online, welcome you this morning to that. Uh, and so uh, this morning, I, I, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever been confused? Ever been confused before? You know that feeling of when you're just like, you know, confusion. It's not a, it's not a great feeling. It's not one of those things you're like, man, I'm so confused and I'm loving it. I just would love to be confused for the rest of my life. We don't, we don't love that. And there's lots of things that confuse us. Uh, maybe it's confusing directions. Maybe you're directionally challenged and every sign looks like this to you. You're like, you never can get here. You showed up like 20 minutes late and you come here every week and yet you still, it's confusing. Or maybe for you, it's, you get confusing text messages. I get some of those from you guys sometimes and I'm like, uh, who is this? And you're like, oh, sorry, Mark, that was for someone else. Or I remember a while back I got a text message from this, this person who says, you owe me $200 and you know it, you bleepity bleep. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't think you have the right number. And they're like, yeah, nice try. You're like trying to get away from the void it. You know, you spent it on your, you know, your kids and you, you ripped off your last boyfriend. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is not who you think it is, right? And it's like, you are so-and-so, you live in Hamilton. I'm like, actually, I'm pastor and I live in the Haldeman. And they're like, Okay, this is a new trick for you. And it took me half an hour to convince this person that I really wasn't their ex-girlfriend who was trying to rip them off and hadn't paid the rent money. That confusing text. Maybe you've had some. Um, maybe you've got, had, like, um, confusion in your relationships. Like, you get mixed signals. You know, if you're married, you get mixed signals, right? She says, you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. It's never fine. That's not what she means. When she says yes, it, it means sometimes no, right? You're like, I, I just don't get it. Like, what? help me help you. And, and, and maybe if you're in the dating stage, it's like, does he like me? Does he not like me? Does he hold hands and just want to see other people? Like, what's going on here? Mixed signals. It's confusing. And then there's those moments where all of a sudden when you've been in confusion and then there's that moment of clarity where it's like, Oh, okay, finally, I get it. I understand now. It makes perfect sense. Those moments are great. And sometimes those areas of confusion in our lives, they can simply be changed by that, by uh, changing our perspective, by how we look at something can oftentimes change the the, uh, confusion into clarity. And I just found this quick little video clip I want to show you that kind of illustrates a little bit. If you're old like enough uh, that you may remember a guy named Victor Borga, one of the greatest piano entertainers ever. But here, if you haven't, here's just a little tidbit. Sometimes it's just all in how you look at it, right? It's just, when you flip the music over with music, it seems like, you know, it can be humorous or entertaining. But when it comes to confusion in life, it's not always that, uh, that, um, that humorous. Have you guys ever been confused by important stuff? Like, have you ever been confused by stuff that you read in the Bible? Any show of hands, you've ever read something, you're like, uh, that just does not make sense. Been there. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about that this morning is that there are a number of people that over the last few weeks that I've talked to, it just keeps coming up. There's these, I'm like, Mark, I read this, and I love that you're reading the Bible. And it's like, but it's really confusing. I, I don't get it. I don't understand this. Uh, in our starting point class, some of those questions came up. I've been listening to some podcasts, and these questions come up. And the thing is that the trouble is that when people are confused about something, 
especially if it's the Bible. If you're confused about the Bible and then your friends at work ask you questions about your faith and then you share with them based on your confused knowledge of what you have, they just get more and more confused. And it's like that game telephone. Remember in school, in grade school, you like whisper the thing, you know, the tall man walked up the wall and at the end it's like, you know, Santa fell off his reindeer or whatever. You're like, how did it get to that? I had that experience with my kids this, this week. Um, one of my children put a whole lot of toilet paper in the toilet, uh, uh, and, and so Beth's over there, and, uh, and it's gathering around. Who did this? We finally found out. And we're like, why did you like? Why did you fill it up with toilet paper? We're like, you know what? All right, you're gonna have to plunge it yourself, is what Beth told him. So he goes and he gets the plunger, and as he's coming back, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna test it. And I push the button, and it all goes down. And the kids are like, whoa! And I was like, you know what? Children, this is why I bought this toilet. When I went to the store to buy the toilet, I asked them, which one is the best toilet? And they had a row of like six toilets. They started with this end, and they said, with this toilet, you can flush a mouse down it. And I was like, okay, tell me about this toilet. And they're like, with this toilet, you can flush a mouse inside of a cat down it. I'm like, that's my toilet. You know, and so I uh, told my kids, this is how I purchased this toilet. Well, later on, don't I hear them telling one another, and I'm sure, you know, going to text their friends, dad flushed a cat down this toilet, right? I'm like, that's not how that went. But just the confusion of the story, it gets changed along the way. And I'm glad that didn't go out. I'd have PETA at my door. I, I'm not anti-cat, not that much anyway. So, but things can get confusing, Things can get really confusing. And for some, for some, your confusion about the Bible has been a hindrance to you. It's, for some, you're not a Jesus follower. You just come here because we have free food and you, like, your friends keep inviting you. And you're like, I, just, I don't know. I feel good when I'm here. Uh, but you're not really sure if you believe any of the stuff that we're talking about. And for some, that's a, this is the hindrance. It's like I'm confused about some of the stuff I read in the Bible. I just don't know that I can that I can believe in Jesus with this confusing stuff. For others here, you've been a Christian for a long time, and now that you started reading the Bible, you're like, yeah, I've been going to church a long time, but I don't know if I, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I don't know. And, and maybe your friends start asking you stuff at work, and they have all the confusing questions, and you just, you're just not sure, and you, you know, you're almost considering walking away because you're like, I just don't know that I understand all that. So this morning, I want to challenge you. I feel like this morning's more like teacher mode. And you're like, oh, great. You know, I don't, I don't have to go to school until tomorrow. Why are you bringing up uh, school today? Teacher mode in the sense of uh, you're going to have to listen very, very carefully. So if you didn't have enough coffee, run back there. Get a good cup. You need to stay awake for this one. Uh, put on your thinking caps, as my teacher used to say back in school. There's going to be lots of references from the Bible this morning, but we're not going to put them all up on the screen. So at the very end, we'll put a list of all of them up there, and you can take a snapshot, go home, and I challenge you to just check, fact check me to see if I'm lying to you. Just go home and see. You can Google a Bible online. You can open your paper Bible and find out some of these things. You may want to jot some of them down. But today, I think what what I would call today, if I had a secondary uh, uh, message title, would be called Shooting Holy Cows. Uh, And so for some, we have these misbeliefs that affect our lives. And when we share with those misbeliefs with others, it's just confusing. And I think that's what's actually happened with the church since you know, Peter and the boys were started explaining what the gospel was to people, and others kind of started mixing the messages, and then as it went down further and further, confusion led to more confusion, led to more confusion, until we get to the spot now where, like, the Bible's confusing for some, and we're like, I don't even know if I want to read it, because it's confusing, and so I want to, I want to talk about that this morning, and I, I, I can say that in all of the questions that have been asked over the last little while, for me, they're all about the same topic. Every single one of them is, comes right back down to the same topic, and it's this. I don't understand the Old Testament. 
How is it possible that the Old Testament and the New Testament sound so different? I want to give you a few thoughts on when you're reading your Bible and how to read the Old Testament. Here's, Here's thought number one. The Old Testament wasn't written to you specifically. It's not written to you. So when you read through the Old Testament, you can't read it as if it was written to you, about you, or even for you. There's things in there that we can learn from, but it's not written to you. For instance, if Scott here didn't pay his taxes and CRA sends him a notice in the mail, and I go to his mailbox and I pick it out and it's like, Scott Ferber, you owe $3,000 in back taxes. And I take that note out and I read it and I'm like, oh no, I owe $3,000 in back taxes. Am I getting it right? No, why? Because who's it for? Scott, right? That penalty is not mine. In the same way that if Beth were to write me a love note, and I can't tell you what's in it, you know, like, hey, you hunk of hunk of burning love, whatever, right? And so I have that kind of in, in my uh, mailbox, and Scott decides he's going to pick that one up, and he opens it. It's like, oh, you hunk of hunk of burning love. He should, and he's like, oh, starts making eyes at Beth. I know he would never do that. Um, but would, would he be getting it right? No, why? Because it's for me. I know now you guys are all like messed up, right? You're like, I didn't. That's not the mental picture you wanted. But that is that is how this works, that as you, as you read into the Old Testament, I hear all the time where people read the Old Testament and they read themselves into the stories. David and Goliath, David fighting a giant is not about you fighting your giant of addiction. That's not what the story is all about. And, and so there's different, there's different things. For, and what happens is there's so much confusion, so much misunderstanding. There's a lot of questions, and that leads to a lot of doubt. And then you're like, well, if I doubt all this stuff in the Bible, then I don't know if I can accept any of it. And especially for those who are going to university, that becomes a huge challenge for you. And so we want to talk about that. You know, when I ask people, you know, how to define Christianity, what's Christianity? You know, I hear a lot. Go to church, keep the Ten Commandments. Go to church, keep... Anybody heard that before? You know, maybe you think that. Maybe you think, man, I'm trying to be a better person. That's what Christianity is. Trying to be a good person. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not what the Ten Commandments were for. I, I, I hear about others, you know, they, they read about the story of Gideon. And if you went to Sunday school, the story of Gideon is God tells Gideon, go do something. And Gideon's like, oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's God. And so he's like, God, I, I'm going to just test to see if this is really you. And so he, he does this thing where he takes this fleece, and so he grabs like some sheep wool, and he sticks it out on the ground, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and I, if, if the ground is all full of dew and the, and the fleece is dry, then I know it's you. He goes and he sleeps, he gets up, wakes up, ground's all wet, the fleece is dry. He's like, well, that could have happened maybe by accident. Okay, God, we're doing it again. We're going to have another fleece test. Tomorrow when I wake up, I want the ground to be dry, and I want all the dew to be on the fleece. He gets up the next morning, everything's dry, grabs a fleece, soaking wet, wrings out a couple bowls of water, and he's like, okay, God, I guess, I guess it's you. And, and, and as he goes through the story, some people, and I've heard, they read into it, and they're like, okay, I guess if Gideon could do that, then I can do that. God, if you want me to marry that person, give me a sign. True story. Driving down the road, sees a sign at church. You know, it's, this is uh, some sign about prayer, and he's like, I saw a sign, I'm supposed to marry that girl. I'm like, you idiot. That's not what that sign meant. That sign simply meant that they want you to pray, right? Or, or people like, God, if, if you uh, give me this sign, then I'll, then I'll quit my job or I'll buy that house or I'll do something. Do you realize that that's not what that story was ever meant to be? That's not uh, how, and so I see people make decisions based on fleece prayers that end up horribly, horribly wrong. Now there's things like natural disasters. And every time a natural disaster happens, it doesn't take very long before some guy gets on the radio and starts saying, that was the Lord. Yeah, I remember, you remember when New Orleans got flooded? Wasn't it like, 
Well, the Lord judged Egypt with a flood and drowned all them Egyptians. And, and that's the Lord right now. He's judging. He's judging New Orleans for Mardi Gras and all their gambling, wiping them out. For real. Tsunami happens, wipes out a couple hundred thousand people in Thailand and the Philippines. And doesn't some Christian get on the radio and say, that's the Lord judging all of the, all of the sex trafficking that's going on in Thailand. That's the Lord doing that. Everybody's like, I don't want nothing to do with the Lord if he's doing that. Where do they get that from? Where does that mentality come from? Because they read something in the Old Testament and they misread, misunderstand who God is. It's like they mix the messages. That's the title this morning, Mixed Messages. Reading, I had a guy this week saying, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. He's not a Jesus follower. He's like, I want to follow Jesus because when I read about him, I'm intrigued. But I can't understand the Old Testament. He says it sounds like two different religions. And this morning, I want to tell you that it is. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not messages that are supposed to be mixed. When you read the Old Testament, as you read through, those stories weren't written to you. They're not about you. They're not directed uh, to you individually. But there's things we can learn from them. What's the Old Testament's purpose? The Old Testament points to Jesus. As you read through the Old Testament, the idea of reading through is looking for how does this point to Jesus? Because that's why it was written. Let me give you a quick, short blurb of the whole Old Testament of how it points to Jesus. It's this. God creates a perfect world. And we know that God creates a perfect world and men bring sin into the world and through that they destroy what was once perfect. Then God says to Adam and Eve, you know what, you guys wrecked this thing. It was so good. I got a plan to fix it though. I promise I will bring some um, um, restitution to what's happened here. Well, it doesn't happen in their lifetime. Hundreds of years go by. There's a man named Abram and God says, you know what, of all the people in the world, I've got to start somewhere. I've got to start with one person. So Abram, I'm picking you. I want you and me to be in a, in a, in a deal so that, so that down the road, I can save the world through you. I can bless the world through your family. And so uh, as you, if you've read the stories, God asks Abraham at one point to sacrifice his son. And my atheist friends, they have a heyday with this because they're like, what kind of God asks people to kill their own children? And I'm like, that's not the point of the story. Do you know what the point of the story is in that one? God asks Abraham to bring his son, and, and uh, his son says, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire, where's the lamb? And, he's, and Abraham knows from the minute he goes, hey, don't worry, buddy, God's going to provide the lamb. And as they get up there and build the altar, and he puts his 20-year-old son on the altar, hey, Dad, you know, like, uh, don't, you, what do you do with the knife, Dad? And, and all of a sudden, he's like, don't worry, son, God's going to provide the lamb. And just before, right in the perfect timing, all of a sudden, God says, Abraham, stop, I provided a lamb. It's in that thicket over there. And they sacrificed that lamb. God, later on, as Abraham and Isaac, Isaac has a son named Jacob. God says to Jacob, Jacob, uh, I'm blessing the world through your family line. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name to Israel because you're my people. We're in a relationship now. We are family. You're my family. You're God's family on the planet. And then after that, they introduced the Ten Commandments through Moses. Why? Because every family has house rules, right? Your family does. When I say, hey, I say, my kids, you guys got to be in bed at 8 o'clock. I can't really go down there and say, hey, Charlie, all your kids got to be in bed by 8 o'clock, including Reuben. You know, I can't do that. That's, that's not, I can't make him follow my family rules, right? The Ten Commandments were their family rules. They were never meant to be ours. And so they give them these family rules, and, and then uh, they try to keep the rules. But the rules were just meant on how they would treat one another. God's like, I, you know, if you're in my family, I want you to treat each other in a certain way. I want you to treat yourselves. Don't, don't hurt yourselves. And I want you to treat me in a certain way with respect. And so that's why he sets that up. But they can't keep the rules. God knew that. Then he also tells them this other thing. He says, we're going to have a family dinner. 
I want you guys to celebrate this, this dinner where you kill a lamb and you have this specific dinner uh, to celebrate that I took you out of Egypt. And I want you to never forget that. And so they would do that. Every year they would have this dinner where they'd have this lamb and they did it for 1,500 years. So speed all the way up, 1,500 years of having this dinner, trying to keep these rules. We're God's family till all of a sudden outside of Jerusalem one day, there's a river called the Jordan River and there's this guy down there. And his name is John, and he's a little crazy. He's wearing camel skins. He's got grasshopper guts between his teeth. And they're like, everybody comes down to hear this guy. It says crowds come down to hear this guy. And you know what happens in that moment? As they're down there by the Jordan River, John, who is a follower of Jesus, eyewitness, he writes down this account. He says in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says the next day, John, not the John who's writing it, but John the baptizer, he sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we read that, we just would keep on reading. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But now just think about what it was like for them. The people, Jewish people sitting around that place who for thousands of years had been killing lambs to cover their sin. All of a sudden they're like, wait, what? What, what did he just say? That God provided a lamb. That's what this says, the, the lamb that God provided to take away the sins of the whole world. And they're like, we already have lambs that take away our sins. You know, we have little lamby, we take him into our house every year and then we kill him and, and then our sins are covered. He's like, yeah, this is different. This is something brand new. And, and that God's gonna do something new, that one man is gonna die, that God provided this person, this man, Jesus, to, to take away the sins of the whole world. Like, but I thought it was only supposed to take away Jewish sin. No, no, this is something brand new. First Peter 3, verse 18, you can look it up later. It just says this. Peter explains to the new believers that Christ died once for all. He says there's not going to be any more need for sheep to die. So for those of you who are visiting and wondering if we're going to do anything crazy, there's no, no craziness going to happen here today. Why? Because Jesus died once for all. And see, Jesus began to tell people, in that day and age, people who are like, this is our sacred text. This is what we all have been reading and, and studying. This is all about us and about God. And then Jesus comes and says, you know what? That whole thing is all about me. Man, they were so, it was so difficult for them. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is, is preaching in a synagogue in one of their kind of their churches. And he reads the scroll from Isaiah. You can read it later in Luke chapter 4. He says, that, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me as he reads something they've read multi many, many times. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news, to, to set at liberty those who are bound. And then he rolls up the scroll at the end. And he says, hey, you guys, this, is, th this whole thing was all about me. This is fulfilled in your midst today. And they look at him like, what are you saying? You saying that everything that was written, that, that, that's about you? He's like, yeah, it's about me. And they're like, we know your mom. We, don't, we know your mom had you out of wedlock. We know, you, we know your dad. and We know your brothers. This is not about you. And they grab him and they try and throw him off a cliff. I know, you should read your Bible. It's pretty cool stuff in there. Then Jesus says later, very famous story. You probably know the last verse of it. John chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. Really smart guy who studies and studies and studies these old, these old scriptures of all the stuff that had been written. And Jesus says to, says to him, hey, Nicodemus, remember when Moses was in the wilderness? And he's like, yeah, I know the stories of Moses in the wilderness. You remember what happened when they were sinning against God? He's like, yeah, the snakes came in and started biting all the people. He's like, right, the snakes came in and bit the people, and they started dying because of these poisonous snakes. You remember what happened? And he's like, yeah, Moses took this serpent, this bronze serpent, a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and, and lifted the pole up in the air. And so anybody who got bit, all they had to do was look at that pole, and they'd be miraculously healed. 
Like, yeah, that was amazing what God did back then. Then Jesus says to Nicodemus, in the same way as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, I'm going to be lifted up from the, uh, from the world, and I'm going to draw all men unto me. He says, I'm going to be, he's basically said, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to draw all men unto me. And they'd be like, what? No, how does that make sense? How is this about you? How are you making it about you? And he simply said, for God so loves the world, Nicodemus, that he sent his only son, so that through him, anyone who believes would be saved. He explained it to him. It's all about me. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Jesus is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story after Jesus has died. All of his friends who were there watched him die, and they're just like, this cannot possibly be happening. He was supposed to be the Messiah. And there's two people. One way, I think his name's Cleo. Cleopas, yeah. He's walking, he's walking home after this. He's left Jerusalem. He lives, you know, seven miles away in a place called Emmaus. He's walking back home with his friend, and they're sad. They're just talking about, you know, man, it was, it was supposed to be different than this. How did Jesus die? And I can't believe it. And as they're, as they're walking, it's three days after he died, all of a sudden there's another person with them. And they're like, hey, man, how are you? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Why are you guys so sad? I'm like, what do you mean? Why are we so sad? Are you like the only person who hasn't been around Jerusalem the last weekend? Like, do you guys have no idea? Do you have no idea what happened to, to this man, Jesus? And he's like, no, tell me what happened. They have no idea that it's Jesus. And so they're like, he was supposed to be the Savior, and he died. And, and, and how is that possible? And it says in, in Luke, Jesus begins to tell them. He takes them back through the scriptures, back through the old uh, writings, and says, hey, don't you see that through this verse and this verse and this verse that the Messiah was supposed to die? And all of a sudden, it's like their eyes begin to open. They're like, wait a second. Yeah, we never saw that before. That's pretty amazing. And boom, he's gone. And they're like, Oh, he's alive, and they run back to Jerusalem and tell people that Jesus is alive. Why? Jesus said, it's all about me. As you read through the Old Testament, it's always all about Jesus. And Jesus was teaching his disciples one day, and something they believe, the scholars believe that he taught often. It's from Matthew chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard it. Jesus didn't call it that. We do. But Matthew chapter 5, you can read it, but picture what it was like to be there. Maybe you've heard it before. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've, you've heard some of those things. Jesus is sitting on a hillside with a whole bunch of people, all who've studied Jewish scripture, have been raised in it all their lives. And then Jesus would say stuff like this. Hey, you've heard it said, but I say. And he'd say things like this. You've heard it said, don't murder. And they're like, yeah, we've heard that. That's what Moses told us. Ten commandments, thou shalt not kill. He's like, you've heard that said, but guess what I say? I say something new. I'm saying... You can't even hate your brother because it's the same as murder in the eyes of God. And they're like, what? That's a little, that's a little different. He says, yeah, you know what else? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And like, yep, we know that. He says, but I'm telling you, don't even look at a woman with lust because you've committed adultery in your heart. And they're like, well, we didn't do the actual deed. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's bigger than that. It's different than that. And then he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they're like, yeah, that's what Moses told us. Love the Israelites, hate everyone else. And he's like, yeah, but I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. And he's like, they look at that and they're just like, Jesus, what you're saying is like, you're getting rid of all of our, of our uh, stuff that we've learned all of our lives. He says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. Why do you think you had to say that? 
Because it's pretty easy for them probably to misunderstand in this moment why he had come. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets. See, he didn't call it the Old Testament. There was no Old Testament back then. There was just the Testament. There was just the covenant, the promise that God had made to them. That's all they had was this one group of, this, this group of writings and documents called the law of Moses and the prophets. He's like, I didn't come to toss all that. What he says, I came to fulfill all that. I came to accomplish its purpose. I didn't come to throw it away. And as the people sat there, they're like, wait a second. So you're saying this is now done and there's something new? And he's like, yeah. Well, they were scratching their heads thinking about that. Like, this is really different. And the religious people were like, yeah, we're going to kill them. This is way too different, way too new. Say all of that to say this. Jesus did come to start something brand new. And as a Jesus follower, as a Christian, you're, the, you're to be following the thing that is brand new, not the thing that was old. And, and Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22, maybe you can read it later, but maybe remember the picture. Jesus is sitting there. You know what they're doing? They're celebrating that meal, that meal we talked about earlier where they would kill a lamb, and for 1,500 years they would celebrate this meal once a year and say, remembering God took us out of Egypt. God took us out of Egypt. God took us out of Egypt. And then Jesus all of a sudden says, okay, from now on it's not about that anymore. Now it's about me. I want you to remember me, what I'm going to do for you on a cross. Think about that in real life. We've talked about that before. It'd be like you going at, at Christmas dinner and saying, hey, mom and dad, from now on, Christmas dinner's not about um, Jesus or Christmas. It's about me. I want the celebration to be about me. You bring me the presents. It's all about, it's all about me. When you eat the meal, you honor me. People would be like, yeah, loony bin. We got a fresh one for you, right? Like, this is, this is like, Something crazy. Do you realize the disciples would have thought the same thing? They're like, Jesus, you're crazy. They're going to kill you for this. He's like, nobody kills me. I'm laying my life down for this. But yes, I am starting something brand new. He would tell people, come to me. Follow me. The Lamb of God, come to me. Follow me. And they're like, no, no, we got to follow Ten Commandments. And we got to come to the temple. And he's like, no, you got to come to me. Come and follow me. The Old Testament not only is it not written to us specifically, not only does it point to Jesus all throughout, the Old Testament is only understood through the lens of the New Testament. If you don't understand the New Testament, if you don't understand the New, you will be very confused by the Old. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers. It's a little bit lengthy, but I wrote it all out here for you. I want you to follow along on the screen because they had issues with it. He said this, he, Jesus, has enabled us to be ministers of his what? new covenant. He's like, this is something brand new. This is a covenant, not of written laws, not like Moses had the Ten Commandments. That's not what it is, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. You know why? Why does it end in death? Because they, if they try to keep the Ten Commandments, none of them can do it, so it ends in death. If they try to keep the commandments, and like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, like, I kept all the Ten Commandments. He's like, that's pride. It leads to death. There's no chance on this side but death. And so Jesus um, has said there's a new way. And Paul says, he writes that thing. He says, the old way leads to death, but the Spirit gives life. The old way with, um, uh, of laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? This is the new way that Holy Spirit gives life. It's not about you keeping rules, trying to be a better person. It's you just getting life from Holy Spirit. It says in verse 9, If the old way, which brings condemnation, if that way was glorious, 
How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? There was some glory in this part because God was working with people to bring a Savior. But how much better now that we're, we are right with God just because of what Jesus did for us? That's pretty amazing. You're not right with God because you're a better person than you were yesterday. You're right with God because of what Jesus has done for you. And when you share with others and they ask, hey, you know, how can I be a Christian? It's simply about being made right with God. In verse 10, in fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. Verse 11, so if the old way has been replaced. It, it's so clear that that old way is no longer. It was glorious. He says, how much glorious is the new which remains forever? This one's not going to change. Verse 12, since the new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel could not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Paul writes to them and says, don't don't you see it? That every time people keep trying to read through the old law, he says they just don't get it. It's confusing. They don't understand. They don't see the truth. He says, even to this day. And then he says it again in the next verse. Yes, in verse 15, even today, when they, put your name in there, put whoever in there, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. When you turn and understand it's all about Jesus, well, then the Old Testament makes sense. The only reason the Old Testament ever makes sense is if someone's a follower of Christ, they can look back and realize, okay, it all pointed to him. It's not confusing. It's not strange. It's not, it doesn't cause misunderstanding or doubt. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. Fascinating stuff. As you read through, the reason we say, Mark, man, that's a lot of information. Who cares about all that information? Maybe you're in high school and you're like, I don't care about all that information. Maybe you're like in a, you know, older and you're like, I just don't care. Boy, you know, tell more funny stories next time, right? Maybe that's the case. But can I tell you something? That we will not reach our world if we give them mixed messages about who God is. Do you realize that as our young people grow up and go off to university and they're challenged with thoughts of saying, hey, Genesis isn't scientific, and so if that's not true, well, you might as well toss out all the rest, that we will lose the generation of, people, of our young people when it comes to faith? Do you realize it is that important when your friends at work start asking you questions and they're like, hey, well, it's this, this, this is in the Old Testament. You're like, uh that you would be able to say, listen, the Old Testament is not what this thing's all about. This whole thing points to Jesus. Let's talk about him. Because that's who we was called to, that we, he would come to him. See, when Jesus said this, when he started his brand new thing, there was no New Testament. There was no New Testament at that point. Jesus didn't come out and say, I died on the cross, and while I was in the grave, I wrote a bunch of books, and here you go. Here's the new documents. No new documents. The thing is, um, he even said, you know, the old and the new, they're not to be mixed. Remember he'd say things like, there's, you know, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. These messages weren't meant to be mixed. They were never even put together into one book, like what we call the Bible, for 400 years. So for 400 years after Jesus died, people were following Jesus without having a book to follow. It's an interesting thought when you think about it, because we get understandably, we get confused because we've been handed one book. Here's the Bible. Believe everything in this. This is the word of God. It's all equal. It's not really the case. There are certain things that were written specifically to us. 
The early disciples found it confusing as well. If you've ever been confused, they were confused as well because they, they, they found some things like this. They'd say, hey, the Old Testament commanded us to be separate from the world. And Jesus is like, yep, and I'm commanding you, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they're like, oh, which one is it? It's one or the other. You can't mix those. You can't stay separate and go into all the world. Which one are you going to choose? He'd say things like this. The Old Testament commanded us to keep 613 commandments. 613. And Jesus is like, yeah, I got two for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he actually puts it all down into one and says, you know what? Just, just go love people the way I love you. That's it. One command. Just go do that. And like, what about the 613? He's like, just do this one and you'll actually be doing all of those. It says this. You know, that as they went out, they didn't teach. These people didn't teach new believers. As they went from town to town, they didn't say, you know, here's some Old Testament documents. Here's our Jewish documents. We want you to believe this and believe in Jesus. They didn't. They just simply said, this is about who Jesus is. Paul's message to people was simple. You can read in Acts chapter 20, he said, turn from sin, turn to God, trust Jesus. Turn away from sin, turn to God, trust Jesus. That's it. That is it. It is so simple then and it's still so simple today and yet there's that confusion. Why? Because the Old Testament was all about tabernacles and temples and buildings. And maybe, maybe for you, maybe you've heard it said, you know as Jesus said, maybe you've heard it said that the church is the house of God. Been there? Ever heard anybody like that? Children, stop running. This is the house of God. Their voices even change when they say it. I don't know why, but it's just that there's something about that, that the building is the house of God. As people travel around, uh, this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, at a, I was visiting another church. Um, we were going through with some couple who's uh, wanting to do their wedding there. And the pastor of that church, he was walking around showing us the places. And then he shows us the front of the church. And he's like the altar where he's, there was like shrubberies and like things hanging and gold candelabras and whatever. And he, he shows us this and he says, that is the most holy place in this building. This is the sacred thing. So he says, you know what? When the couple signs their marriage certificate, we get them to sign it in the holy place up here because then it matters. I'm like, okay. And so as I'm thinking, I'm like, that's in our county. There's still that thought that these buildings are somehow holy. And Jesus is like, it isn't about temples and buildings. I remember back in the day, I was a Beth and I did wedding photography and we did about 60 weddings, different churches. And I remember one specific thing. As Beth and I, uh, we were at this wedding, I, I went there. And it was interesting how pastors would talk to me as the photographer, right? So they, they, one day I showed up and, and the, the pastor says, are you the photographer? I'm like, yeah. And he said, okay, so come with me. He's like, here, here's where you get to stand, right here in this corner. And I was like, uh, I'm going to have a really hard time getting good pictures from this corner. And, they, and, and uh, he's like, That's a, that doesn't matter. This building is, uh, this is where you get to stand. And I was like, okay. But it would be really cool if I could stand up here and get some photos of them coming down the aisle. And he, I didn't actually go up there because he wouldn't let me. He stopped me and said, listen, that is a sacred place. Only ordained ministers can go up there. And I was like, I'm also an ordained minister. And he was like, what? <laughs> he gave me this look and like, I showed him my card, and he's like, no, and back to, my, back to your corner. <laughs> do, do you know something, though? Do you know, what I, you know what in that moment what I felt, and what I believe others would feel? What if I wasn't a Jesus follower photographer? Do you think that I would ever want to go back in that building ever again? Do you think I would want anything to do with this God of this building who's so sacred that nobody's allowed? I just want to put my boot on their little platform and see what happened, right? <laughs> I know that's not 
very godly. But, <laughs> but, but that's what's happening. When we mix the messages, we repel the world. This is why it's so important. When Jesus was um, by the temple, he went to the temple, and he's looking, and he's like, what are you guys doing? You're, you're, you're making the sacrifices into this money-making scheme, and he flips tables over, and he just chases all these people out, and he says, you guys are trying to keep everyone out with all your rules, and I'm trying to invite everyone in. This was supposed to be a house of prayer for everyone, and you made it a den of thieves. He's like, this is not what this temple was ever supposed to be about. And same thing here. It was never meant to be these buildings were supposed to repel people. He was saying, it's not about those buildings at all. It's about this group of people. Would you invite everyone in? John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this. I believe it's the last verse. Jesus told them, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they're like, Jesus, wait, no. Isn't it about the temple? Isn't it about the temple? Well, we have a picture of the temple. You can see this in Matthew chapter 24. You can read it later. The disciples even, they're like, no, sorry, different, uh, different one, for number eight. The temple, um, that's okay. It'll come up there. But the disciples were with Jesus one day, and they're like, Jesus, this temple, isn't it amazing? And he's like, you guys still don't get it. It is not about this building anymore. It's about me. I'm like, yeah, but look how amazing it is. And he says to them, yeah, okay, fellas, take a good look, because the whole thing's going to burn. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm telling you, not one block's going to be left on top of another. No, 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 we need this. This is our way to God. He's like, I'm the way to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not temples, not buildings, not, nothing, just me. And so then as, as uh, they walk away and they're like, man, that just seems so crazy. Do you know what happens? You know what happens to this temple? Not 30 years later, Emperor Titus, yes, General, General Titus and, and the Roman legion come and they torch this building, AD 70. August 6th, you can look it up. They burned the building. And then because they burned the building, all the gold dripped down into the foundation. So they ripped all the rocks off to get to the gold that had burnt, melted down into the bottom. Tore that temple apart. It's never been rebuilt. Judaism, Old Testament, the whole Old Testament Judaism religion, the way it died in that moment. Because there's no more, there's no more temple where lambs can be sacrificed. It is no longer. Just as Jesus said. But what he said will last forever is that you come to me. Paul explained it to the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17. You can look it up. This real place, Mars Hill. He says to them, these, these guys are like, we believe God's in these temples and buildings. He's like, don't you guys realize that God's way bigger than that? He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. If God lived in this building, we've got a pretty small God. He's like, he's way bigger than that. You don't understand. And then he explained to the Corinthians, he says, don't you guys know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's like, be careful how you treat these things because God lives in you. That is so much better than maybe one hour a week where you get to be in the presence of God, where you get to be in the house of God. He's like, you're the house of God. God is with you, like we say, and God is for you. God is good. He is with you wherever you are. And as the disciples began to understand that, they realized the difference. And John wrote it this way. John chapter 1, verse 17, he says this. He says, you know what? It's something new. Jesus came and did something new for the law. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Which one would you like? That's a question for you this morning. You can't mix the messages. When you do, it's confusing, so pick one. Jesus said the same thing. You want the law? You can have the law, but you better be perfect. Your righteousness better be better than the, the Pharisees, because otherwise you don't get in. Or the other side, would you like some grace and some truth? Would you like some, some, someone to have done it for you? I hope this morning brings some clarity. For those of you who are Jesus followers, who read the Old Testament and you're confused, I hope it brings some clarity for you this, uh, that as you read through it, you say, okay, where does it point to Jesus? 
and, and that I'm realizing I can learn from some of these stories, but they're not written to me. This is not who God is or how God operates with men today. Don't mix the messages because you'll share that with a world who will not understand. They need to understand the simple message, and that's about Jesus. When Jesus called people to come follow him, he wasn't calling them to come follow a book. He didn't say, hey, come follow me. Here's the Bible. He said, just come follow me. Come follow me. He didn't call them to come follow a list of truths. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, come follow um, this way to God. He's like, I am the way to God. You want, you want to get... To, you want eternal life? You, it's me. Come to me. He didn't tell them to live with a new set of rules. He said, I am the life. Just live with me. Love one another as I have loved you. So this morning, maybe you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe you're here and you're hesitant to believe in Jesus because you've had issues with stuff in the Old Testament. Can I let you know that you, that's unnecessary for you to worry about the stuff in the Old Testament if you feel like Jesus is calling you to come follow him? Maybe you've been tempted to walk away from faith because you're like, I just can't, I can't reconcile the stuff that I've read in the Old Testament. How could God wipe out people? How could God do all this kind of stuff back then? It wasn't written to you. It's not written for you. It's not how God deals with people today. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like Jesus is calling you because Jesus called people who thought it was all about following rules, who thought it was all about some religion. And he says, you know what? It's not what it's about. Come follow me. Come to me, come follow me. And he also called people who on the other flip side of that, whose lives are just a train wreck of all the rotten decisions they've made, all the sin and the hurt that's kind of weighed them down. He's saying to them too, you're, not, you're nothing to do with religion. Come to me. I'm not calling you to religion. Come to me. Come follow me. And so I want to invite you with the same words this morning, same words that Paul used. If you're not a Jesus follower this morning, he's saying this to you, turn from sin. It just hurts. Turn to God and trust in Jesus that he's enough and follow him. Does it mean to follow him? Just begin reading what Jesus said and doing what Jesus said. Begin trusting that Jesus did it all for you so you don't have to keep all the rules and try and be better for God. He loves you the way you are. But he'll change you as you begin to follow him. You'll become better at life as a result. Better in the relationships just as a result. He's saying, come follow me. But it requires one of two things. You can't turn towards sin and turn towards God. He's saying you got you to gotta pick one. You can't have the law, religion, going to church and doing all the rules and have just simply following Jesus. So that doesn't mean next week don't all show up. That's not what that means. It simply means that I'm not here because this is my religion. I'm here because I'm with the body of Christ as followers of Jesus to grow together. Man, it can make an incredible difference. So I hope it brings some clarity for you this morning. And just like every good school would have, we have one last slide I want to leave up here. We'll just leave this one up on the screen. There's your homework. There's your homework. Take a picture. See if I didn't, see if I'm misleading you. See if there's anything up there you're like, uh, I don't know about all that. I don't know how that all sounded. You can find everything as you're maybe listening along online. You can go through and see the old is gone. The new is here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the Old Testament, the story of just showing us how we can recognize Jesus. Thank you so much for sending your son for us, for paying that ultimate sacrifice to set us free, to give us life, to give us hope. Jesus, we're here to follow you. Would you lead and direct us by your Holy Spirit this week as we go from this place? And when people ask us questions, may we now have the answers to be able to help point them to you. 
Father, thank you for this wonderful family. Pray you bless them today as they go from this place and as they're a blessing to the world around them. May their, may their world see you through them. It's in your awesome name I pray. Amen.